Andy Rio here with Rock and Vodka, and you're listening to Jay Scott and Rick Rocks. going this is jay scott this is the hook rocks the ultimate rock community podcast thanks for tuning in once again uh enjoying a balmy heat wave of chicago winter it's 29 which may break out the grill later on today i don't know we'll see but i hope everyone's enjoying their new year the start of the year is always exciting and i hope everyone is moving forward in a positive way we've got some rock and roll to talk with you um, as I always mention, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, which is a great network of music-related podcasts. Check out their platform at PantheonPodcast.com, as well as social media at Pantheon Pods. And don't forget to check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook <laughs> at The Hook Rocks, as well as find our podcast on all podcast platforms. We're available everywhere. We've had some great shows to start the year off. We did our annual Top 20 albums of the year for 2022, plus our top five EPs. We just had Richie Kotzen on uh, as well, who's got a new album with Winery Dogs coming out on February 3rd. So looking forward to that. Fastest Land Animal, a uh, great band out of uh, California and New York, kind of uh, bi-coastal. Uh, the new album, East Coast, West Coast, In Between is out, so enjoy that. We just recently discussed Ticketmaster and Live Nation and the Senate hearing that happened last week with the uh, monopoly that uh, is affecting the live entertainment industry. So please check out that episode. It's very informative of why you should care and why you should be interested in knowing why competition is stifled in live entertainment. And we get into it with that. And we also recently welcomed songwriter and producer Scott Stevens. Great conversation with him. Enjoyed that. So check that out and more. And plus, our review of the Buddy Guy Leilani Kilgore show at Buddy Guy's Blues Legends earlier in January. Amazing show. Great to see Buddy, one of the all-time greats. No one bends a string like Buddy Guy, and it was a phenomenal show. And we've got a phenomenal show for you today. Um, It is a band that, um, man, I've, uh, growing up outside of Chicago, it's it's like you listen to blues and you listen to Cheap Trick. And uh, growing up, they were always a presence uh, with the older kids in the neighborhood that would filter down the music into us younger kids. Having them with a soundtrack of one of the great movies of my childhood, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, this is a great honor. I'd like to welcome in Rick Nielsen, Dax Nielsen, and Andy Rio from Rock and Vodka. We're going to talk about all of it. We're going to get into it and get to know all three of them over the next Half hour, 45 minutes. But, gentlemen, what's happening? What's going on? Hey. What's happening? Hello, Jay. Well, hey, thanks for doing here. Um, We'll get into it, uh, as we always do, with the first question we always ask to our first-time guests. uh, And I'll pose this to Rick and Dax. Um, Just like our podcast, The Hook, it really kind of covers the essence of what the hook is just like every great rock song has a hook that pulls you in every rock fan has a moment whether it's a song an album a band or performance that hooked them on rock and roll what was it for you hmm there you go good answer um you know there's so much stuff that i grew up with that uh that, uh, that got my attention i still have the 
the t- ticket stubs are saying the Yardbirds. Uh, about 20 people saw them outside of uh, Rockford in, in the, at the Rock River Roller Rink, it was called. It was a skating rink that they came in on a Sunday afternoon and played. And I stood right up next to Jeff Beck. And, uh, he was my favorite guitarist for, for my whole history of, of Cheap Trick and, and of everything. I started out listening to The Ventures. And, uh, and I started listening to blues records first. Because I, I started out as a drummer. So uh, I had so many influences that... And it didn't start out with the guitar. It started out with the drums and then moved on from there. And uh, it's pretty good stuff. You know, when you think of the the passing, the recent passing of Jeff Beck and his impact on guitar, how how did he influence you? Uh, he was the first guy that really bend, bend strings and, and, and do stuff that nobody else was doing. He was like, you know, you, you'd heard the, the Dwayne Eddy and and, uh, and the, the Buddy Holly and, the, and Elvis kind of players, and then he was just playing outside of you know out of his mind. It was like playing stuff that nobody else played. It was it was it worked with the song, but it wasn't like some something you'd never heard before. And it was like it was inspiring. So, you know, it wasn't just a, a guitar player. It was a guitar. The guitar was like the lead instrument to me, and and that's why you know after after the Arbors, it was. And he did the Rod Stewart, and you know it wasn't called Rod Stewart Band; it was called Jeff Beck. And he said, hey, "Oh, by Jeff, uh, you know your your singers, but good too." You know, you know when he, when you think of those guitar players from back then, Hendrix and Clapton, and Page and Beck, you know he was really the one that changed the way he was playing, like in the middle of his career. You know, he was you know predominantly in those early days a blues player. From the you know the, the English movement, and then all of a sudden he went into fusion with like Jan Hammer and all this stuff, and it really spoke to his you know his flexibility and his depth of playing and his diversity too. And when you think about the, those guys, they all looked up to Jeff Beck too, and it's like uh, Jimmy Page got you know a lot of the, the the credits and all that stuff, and the the big the big success as far as being in a band, but they all followed Jeff and. And you know, not not that he was the only guitar player. There was only twelve notes on the on the guitar, and uh, he played them better than anybody else did. I mean, Hendrix loved him, Clapton loved him. You know, when they when uh, when uh, there were signs all over London. The first time I went there in nineteen sixty eight, I said Clapton is God, and I, and I asked Jeff about that. And he says, "God of what?" <laughs> and I, that, that always struck me. It's like, yeah, really. You know, like the, some of the first stuff I ever tried to learn. It being in a, a band was Jeff Beck stuff, and you know I couldn't do it, but I could, but I liked his technique, how he did it. You know, I'm, I'm self-taught, so it was like I didn't know what I was doing, so it was it was kind of fun that way. And uh, and I'm glad to, and if you knew it or not, I sold him as the second Les Paul he ever had in 1968, because I'd, I'd followed him all around. I, mean, I was still in high school. I flew to Cleveland to see him. There were about 12 people there at the, at the Jeff Beck group in a place called La Cave. That was Ron Stewart, and Ronnie Wood, and Mick Waller, and uh, and uh, I, I flew out and my own money fly to Cleveland to go see this stuff. It's like you know it's, it's unheard of. Why would anybody be that nutty? But I did it because I loved it. And uh, then I saw him in Chicago, and the night that his roadie dropped his guitar and broke the head off it, and I went back and it was before he could ever before there was any big big. Dis- a, a big deal about getting backstage. I went backstage and said, I, I told him and I told his guitar road manager that Jeff, you don't know what happened, but uh, your guitar just got broken. And I'm, I'm a guitar collector and you're my favorite guitar player. Give me a call if you want. I've got some guitars. Two weeks later, I got a phone call. I flew to Philadelphia, got a solo mix guitar. Whoa, you know, it's like, I was an ambitious little obnoxious peckerhead. Still am. <laughs> <clears throat> when I was at Buddy Guys, um, I was with my nephew who just turned 21, and I was kind of giving him the tour of all the, the place with all the blues greats pictures hanging on the wall and the guitars. And it was such a great moment because it was a few days after Jeff had passed on the wall. And I don't know if this was done prior to that night, if it was just the way it was. It's always been. But there were two guitars in this one section of the club. One was Stevie Ray Vaughan. The other was Jeff Beck. And they were both hanging together on the wall. Yeah. And I was just, you know, 
as a music fan and someone that knew those guitar players greatly and loved their music, it was just a um, a great moment to kind of see them see their well, guitars. Uh, on well, the here's record. another here's another thing. If you're a Chicago guy, correct? Yeah. Uh, I went to a you uh, was it um, I went to see Stevie Ray and Jeff Beck together uh, back in I don't even know what year it was now. I could look it up, and I got asked to play with those guys. Um, that night, because I knew both of them, and you know they were asked me to come up and play on the encore. And it was the one night that that I didn't drink because because the next day I was taking my son uh, Miles to get uh, confirmation at church. You know, and I didn't go to church often either, but uh, so I didn't drink that night because I had to drive home from Chicago. It was a uh, um, whatever it was. I didn't do it, and then it wasn't long after that that. Uh, Stevie got uh, died, and uh, we were in uh, Australia, and uh, we were in Melbourne, Australia. And I got the news. And it was like unbelievable. And I played with Buddy before too, you know, a number of times. One time I was, uh, we were in Japan, and I went to. Uh, I got invited to play with him at this club. He was playing at. He says, "I'll I'll call you up. I'll call you up." So at this club, I could barely get through the place. So he never called me. He said, "I got my friend out there, Rick, out there. Come on, come on up, Rick." By the, took, by the time it took me to get up to the stage, the song was over. Maybe that, maybe he did that on purpose. You know, seeing him at 86 is, was just remarkable because he sounds fantastic singing and playing. And, you know, to, I haven't seen him in 20 plus years. I saw him back like in the nineties at his club. So I hadn't been down there in forever. And I wanted my nephew to kind of see one of, one of the, if not the last of the blues greats, Chicago blues greats. Um, cause he loves music. And I said, you know, you may not appreciate this now, but 10, 20, 30 years from now, you're going to remember this and say, you saw, you know, one of the greatest of all time. And it was just a, a remarkable moment. The guy is like a, a walking history book. We went to his show to open the hard rock in, uh, in Indiana, but about a year ago, I think something like that. And I got to got him played with him too. It was like, what an honor. It's, it was great just knowing all these guys. You know, it's like I knew them. I, everybody could outplay me, but it was like uh, I got along with kind of everybody, which is pretty <laughs> half the game. Yeah. Andy, what uh, was that moment like for you that, that Rick talks about with the uh, with the hard rock and seeing Buddy play and seeing Rick up there? I mean, you're two legends in the same room. That's where they met. They met in his green room. And uh, I remember walking with Rick uh, to go to Buddy's green room because Rick's was on the other side of the casino. And just that walk was like uh, something special, you know, to see Rick. Because it was a VIP night. It wasn't open to the public. So this was a very special moment for the Hard Rock. It was a special moment for Rick. Because Rick and I are also involved in the new Hard Rock that's being built in the, uh, Illinois. And that's how I met Rick and got him involved with Rock and Vodka, which we can talk about later. But watching Rick get on stage with Buddy Guy was like they had re- uh, performed together hundreds of times. It, it was like they were in the same band. And to, to be able to be right up stage, front, front row, uh, you know, basically backstage to watch Buddy and Rick play. And then his nephew came up, Buddy's nephew. And he was a really, really good guitar player as well. So it looked like it was, uh, like I said, they were, they rehearsed thousands of times together. It was an amazing watch. Well, he mentioned that in the show. He says his, him and his band don't rehearse. They just get up on stage and he tells them to follow him, which is, you know, I guess if you're Buddy Guy, you can do that. We just play so much. Dex, what about you? What was that moment that hooked you on rock and roll? Oh, man. I mean, <clears throat> I would definitely say, obviously, seeing Cheap Trick since I was zero years old, you know, going, being, eating catering when I was two with no teeth. Uh, just seeing those guys, the hardest working band in show business still to this day. I think ZZ Top and, and Cheap Trick probably play more gigs than anybody. Um, but I kind of like, like Rick was saying, I, there was a place called the Ing roller skate park that I used to go see when I was 12, 13, 14, I would go and see guys that I thought were much older. It turns out they were probably like 19, you know, but I'd go see bands in Rockford and just look up to these guys. And then obviously cheap trick and, you know, coming, living at Rick's house, having, Motley Crue come over or, or Def Leppard or all these guys going like, man, your dad's the coolest. I'm like, he is? What do you mean? <laughs> you know? And then you're going to the show, these guys that are Metallica. I remember 
Rick and I are actually going to dinner tonight. We're going to a, a Japanese restaurant here in Rockford and, and the catering backstage was from this particular Japanese restaurant. And, and James Hetfield from Metallica goes, I can't eat this before the show. You want it? And I was like, you're giving me Nippons. <laughs> it's my favorite restaurant. You know, I got to be in a band someday so I can eat this for free, you know, <laughs> but just, just looking up to all these guys that have done it for so long and, and done it really well. And luckily through my father, I've been able to be introduced to all my idols. And now I've been in cheap trick for 13 years and they, you know, I have a lot of their phone numbers and we text, we text back and forth. I'm like, how is this possible? You know? So, I mean, there's more, more than I could even begin to think of that. Just what better life is there than playing rock and roll music? Come on. For drumming and, and, pursuing that instrument what were some of the or who were some of your influences um that uh you know affected your style of play well early on i mean i was more into like the nine inch nails uh pantera metallica heavier kind of rock and roll but then as i got older i started going backwards and really just checking out i still i mean the beatles acdc John Bonham, you know, name your cliche drummer that is the greatest because it's not cliche because it's, it's the truth, you know, just you hear these guys, they are the blueprint of, of rock and roll drums. And to me, always Ringo and, and Phil Rudd, simple drumming, but play for the song is always kind of really what I try to do and what inspires me to this day. You know, playing all the notes is great, but playing to make the song great is way more important, in my opinion. The thing that's amazing about Phil Rudd is it's just this absolute feel, you know, for the song. Right. Well, ACDC's had two or three other drummers, and it never sounds like ACDC. Phil Rudd is the only guy that can make ACDC sound like ACDC, and it's a straight beat. It's impossible to do. Nobody else can do it like he does it, and it's, I don't know. I Nobody else will ever come to his level of simplicity, yet greatness. You know, it's something to be said that it's the most difficult thing to play is the simple stuff, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. I, I play, playing slowly is way harder than playing fast. Because, you, you know, it goes by so quickly and you're just making a bunch of notes, but if you screw up one or two, well, it'll be gone in a second. But if you're just playing, you know, slow blues like Buddy Guy or any of these guys we're talking about, like, that's when every note matters way more importantly. You guys can also speak to this. It's also more difficult to write the simple stuff. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like like I said, there's, there's only twelve notes that we all get to work with, and uh, what you do with them is like uh, I, I've written more songs that nobody's ever heard of. It, it's not easy to turn those same twelve notes into something that somebody else hasn't done before. So uh, you, know, you start with Louis Louis. Okay, that's a. D E. Okay. Now, how can you change that around? Well, you get a little different beat with uh, an ACDC beat. You know, it's like, and it's like, it's not easy to do and, and to be, and to stick with something like that. And, uh, I don't like talking about myself. It's like, it's not easy. You know, like with songs that we do, it's like, well, that sounds easy. Oh, yeah. Well, try it. You know, uh, some of these things that sound easiest are really some of the most difficult to do just to hold back and just, and, and to uh, get get that groove and get that feel, what's going on? I don't know what I'm talking about, but there you go. I always find this an itch, as an interesting question, um, and want to hear your perspective, Rick. Is what comes first for you, or what's more important for a song, the melody or the lyrics? Um, well, probably the, the lyric would be, you know, the stuff that's conveyed that, that goes out there, but the with the melody behind it, you know. You, See, so like the song, I want you to want me. I want you to want me. That's okay. Uh, when I did that, it was like, I, I, I always say, I wish I could be that stupid more often, you know, write something that easy. But, but, uh, when I did that, uh, when we did the Colbert report, uh, Stephen Colbert wanted, uh, something like, I want you to want me, like the, like the pitching for the, uh, for the U.S. Army to join the Army. I want you to want me. And, it, and so I, what I did, I took the melody. I just played it backwards and put it in the da 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 da. It was it was really just a simple thing, but I turned it backwards and it was played on the played on TV for nine years. 
something that silly and stupid. And, you know, I just did what he said. Okay. Well, I see. I wrote the one that he's talking about. So how could I change that without doing exactly the same thing? Do it backwards. And it worked. When you look at your career, you know, the last two albums that you put out were just two of my favorites from the band. You know, we're all all right back in 2017 and the last one in 2021 in another world. How do you guys, in terms of creating, how has that process evolved from the early days? You know, what's it like now versus what it was before? Or is it the same? Uh, kind, of, kind of the same. We just get in the studio. It's like, you know, we we, tr- we plan a little bit, but not that much. We go in the studio and say, what sounds good? I mean, something that's, oh, this is a great idea. And then you play it. It's like, oh, it doesn't sound so great after all. And, and so we get a little bit back and forth. You know, what's, what comes first, the melody or the, or the lyric? Well, sometimes this way and sometimes the other way. And, uh, you know, we, we play stuff that we like. We, the last thing we usually think about is like, we're cheap trick. We're probably not going to get any airplay anyhow, you know, with new stuff. So it's like, you just think you do, you know, I want to, I want Tom to like the bass part and I want Robin to have a cool vocal. And, uh, you know, it's tough to write. It's tough to write 500 songs. As far as new music coming up, is there anything plans or in the works? I know you've got some touring this year. Um, I think you're actually going overseas for, for a moment, or unless you already have, but uh, you're doing some tours with Rod Stewart as well, or some dates with Rod Stewart. What, yeah. uh, what's on the agenda for new music coming from Cheap Trick? Well, we're, our 50th anniversary is coming up, so we're trying to get a, a, another record together, too. And it'll be our 21st studio record, which is kind of unheard of, you know, because we play so much. It's like and nobody's ever clamoring for a Cheap Trick record except us. And I disagree. Like, <laughs> okay. okay. Well, then could you run our program here so you know that we have that we're going to uh, the it's usually because of the pandemic uh, making up shows that had been uh rescheduled or postponed we're going to japan uh that's that, that tour was already sold out and then we pulled it at the last minute and we'll be up uh, later this year we're going to europe um that was postponed also and we're doing like i said the rod stewart stuff and we have our own stuff plus getting ready for the 50th anniversary you know, thinking back to when I, I was a kid and listening to music, I, I think of pop culture and the band's importance to the the youth of, of that generation. And there's really two bands, Cheap Trick and Van Halen, that really had a presence with not just in movies, but like I said, pop culture. And because they were, you, know, you think of the movie of Fast Times, you think of some of the soundtracks that Cheap, Cheap Trick has been on versus like, you know, Van Halen, you know, with being in Fast Times or Ridgemont High being mentioned in that and being on like Back to the Future with Eddie Van Halen and some other things too as well. Not a lot of other bands were doing that or, or not a lot of other bands were able to do that. Why do you think when there was a time where rock really wasn't mainstream that a band like Cheap Trick was able to kind of penetrate that bubble and get inside there and be and have that presence? Well, usually, you know, I don't know that exactly, but uh, usually people that were in, involved with the movies and doing that stuff, they were fans of Cheap Trick. So they said, hey, how can we put them in there? And it was one thing, it was a, uh, one movie that we were supposed to be in that the Ramones got the got the, uh, the nod instead of us. I think they were having trouble with our manager. Gee, it's probably the same as us. And, and to this day, we get, but, uh, we just get involved in stuff. We got involved with, uh, and Jeff, uh, Garland because he was in Curb Your Enthusiasm, but he was from Chicago and a cheap trick fan. So we ended up getting in the movie, uh, Daddy Daycare. And so, you know, how do we get involved in these things? And one of the first ones we did was, uh, you remember the name, the title of the movie? Uh, heavy metal? No, heavy metal. That was too, we were in that too. But, um, it was the one that had, um. Oh, Matt, the Matthew Dillon movie? Matt Dillon, yeah. What was it? Was it, um, second. Over the Edge? Yeah, Over, over the, the Edge. edge. There you go. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you're a smart guy. You should do your own interview. <laughs> don't, don't ask us. Yeah, that was, you know, because it was cool. We were, Matt Dillon was in there and, uh, and we also had, they had like four songs from, of Cheap Trick in there. And it was like, you know, nobody knew who the heck we were. It was so cool that, you know, after the fact, and the fact that we're in Fast Times of Richmond High, uh, that was a, 
Hamlin Crow, who then later got married to Nancy Wilson. We were fans with with Hart, and uh, then then they got divorced, and we're still involved in his stuff. It's like how do you pick this stuff? And the guy, and the guy that helped us do our first logo, Christopher Crow, who uh, actually did the Lassimo Eakins and the Untouchables, and he just he was just a fan that came to see us in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin. And his father was a commercial artist. And how do you, how do you, you can't make up this stuff. It was pretty cool. You know, when you think back of, or think about your presence in Rockford and in Chicago and the young bands that have come through Chicago and, 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 you know, played the clubs and the support that you guys always give Chicago bands. And I can speak to it because I had I, I was roommates with a band in in the 2000s, early 2000s, late 90s that you guys developed a relationship with and were always very helpful with them. You know, when you think of that, that that's important to your legacy, in my opinion, because you guys have always, whether it's enough's enough or whether it's with, you know, Survivor or who, whoever it was, you guys are always there supporting the local bands in Chicago and giving them giving them or trying to help them get a platform. Well, you know, it's like... Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. How cool is that? I mean, yeah, we didn't go, we didn't try too hard, but, uh, but yeah, I guess like we're not, we know we're not the only guys, the only new kids on the block, you know, not, not the band, but you know what I mean? It's like, there's other bands that are cool. And it's like, and the fact that, the fact that the Foo Fighters said that they were inspired by us, now they're huge. It's like, well, okay, Dave, uh, why don't you put us on your next record? Well, they kind of already did. I mean, they, we played Wrigley Field with them. We did run a, a couple of records with those guys. And, you know, I've, I've been on uh, Molly Crew records too. I did, and we, Rob and I went and sang on the record. You know, the background voice. They wanted the crummy voices. They got me. For you, Dax, you know, seeing the band and seeing your dad, you know, have a presence and being looked up to by a lot of these young artists coming through. What did that mean to you in terms of? you know, being a part of the band Cheap Trick and then also kind of growing as a musician? Yeah, I mean, when I was a junior or senior in high school, uh, Cheap Trick did all those four night in a rows doing the first four albums. And uh, I'll never forget, like Smashing Pumpkins opened up for Cheap Trick and Pearl Jam in Seattle opened up for Cheap Trick. And it's all the bands that I looked up to and they're going 
you know, and, and they're at the top of their game. And they're like, well, yeah, we're going to open it for these guys because they're the ones that that they're the reason why we are who we are. You know, Mike McCready from Pearl Jim idolizes Rick, you know, and Billy Corgan looks up to him like mad, you know. And so it, just seeing those like the, the biggest bands in the world that were willing to like take their ego aside and open up for Cheap Trick at the height of their power was, was just incredible. And, um, you know, I've played for Cheap Trick on and off now for almost 20 years. I started in 2001, you know, 23 now. So just, I don't know. I mean, I, I was, I had my own path and I played for a lot of other artists, but, you know, playing with these guys has always been probably, you know, the greatest thing that I've done for sure. Didn't you also play with uh, Dick Dale for a bit? Uh, I did. I think Rick's more proud of that than, than, than my tenure with Cheap Trick for sure. (laughs) You know, the king of the surf guitar. And I mean, I learned a lot of things, good and bad from that man. And he was, he was so great. And, you know, he, he was, he was the most famous musician in the world. And then the Beatles came along. That's how that, you know, that's how long ago he, he kind of came out, but he, him and Leo Fender developed the reverb tanks um, for guitar amps, and he was he was a legend. And then the Beatles came and kind of root and kind of like Nirvana did to Poison or something like that, you know, like biggest band in the world. And then somebody else new comes along and, and just reinvents what what the world wants to hear. So I, I've been very fortunate to play with a lot of great artists. Brandy Carlisle, I played with her for three years, and now she's won like fifteen Grammys and sells out three nights at red rocks and the gorge and you know it just my uh, my path has been very very fortunate that's great and now the path for all three of you guys leads to rock and vodka um which uh is a sugarcane based vodka and i'll let you guys kind of talk about how the creation of this happened and, and where you guys are at with everything and how this got off the ground yeah, so it's, it's 100% sugarcane, uh, non-GMO gluten-free. And a lot of people think, why is a vodka sugarcane that's typically a, a, in a rum? So we're a very rare, unique product. There are very few sugarcane vodkas in the entire world. And the reason it's not a rum is because it comes off of the still at 190 degrees, and we add zero sugar or molasses to it after distillation or at all. And so that's why it's such a um, an emerging brand, because there's none like it. And then you attach a rock and roll Hall of Fame legend to it, a drummer like Dax Nielsen to it, uh, the world's greatest Beatles artist like Shannon McDonald to it. And then you got Michael Pulitz, who owns the Food and Beverage magazine that we just were featured on the cover, 14 million monthly readers, right? And 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 now he's a part of the, the vodka. So my job is a puzzle maker. It's a thousand-piece puzzle, and I'm putting all these pieces together to leverage all these successful careers and the way Rick and I got together is because Rick was working on this project for about 15 to 20 years, was bringing a casino to Rockford, Illinois. And then, of course, about five to 10 years ago, somewhere in between there, the Hard Rock came into the picture. And you can see I'm holding up here a Rick Nielsen Hard Rock bobblehead. So, uh-huh. yeah, so they just did 3,000 of these. So Rick is uh, one of the uh, few people responsible for working extremely hard on bringing the Hard Rock Casino, the, one of the most iconic brands in the entire world, to Rockford, Illinois. And I am blessed to be an investor of Hard Rock. And that's where I met Rick, uh, really got to meet Rick. And we kept on crossing paths. And I'm like, this is a sign. Um, so backing up just a few few, few uh, uh, years, I owned five restaurants in Rockford. And I was the trendsetter or all the new brands came up to me and I got tired of building brands for other companies. So my wife and I and my business partner decided it's time for us to build our own brand. And here comes Rick Nielsen crossing my path day in, day after. And I'm like, this is a sign. I got to ask him if he wants to be involved with Rock and Baca. So I actually didn't know Rick as well. I knew Dax and Miles much better. So I asked Miles, who's also part of the brand, if he thought Rick would be interested in joining Rock and Baca. And he made the introduction. And Rick, uh, immediately, once he saw the business plan, and the fact that we we're going to create a lot of local jobs, which we have done, he immediately joined Rock and Vodka. We're on year three right now, and we're kicking ass. What was the decision, or, or how did you guys come to the decision to do a sugar cane-based vodka? 
So 275 employees at the time, pre-pandemic. And I let all of them taste, blind taste test, in between, from Tito's to Grey Goose to Belvedere. And those are all potato, wheat, corn. And I just kept on letting them try the sugar cane. And it was winning over and over again. And you're talking about 99% of the time. But the reason we chose sugar cane is because we went to the distillery and they mixed in, it was a combination of wheat and sugar cane. Of course, they gave us sugar, uh, uh, corn, potato, all the other grains. And my wife and I kept on going back to this wheat and sugar cane. And, and my wife was the one who said, can you take this uh, wheat out of there and go 100% sugar cane? And the, the distiller was like kind of like a mad scientist. His name was Tim. And he says, actually, if it comes off of the still and we don't add any sugar, and it comes off at 190 degrees, it would be considered a vodka. And so there, that's why we chose Rocket Vodka, because we love the taste, and it, it won the blind test over and over again. When, you know, for someone like myself, you know, who's who has had vodka before. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, huh? I, I, I'm admitting, you know, to... to one to, time. It's a one time I had vodka. Um <laughs> No, uh, sugar cane is not, you know, a popular you know, way to, to, to make the vodka, right? It's usually potato based. Is that right? Or wheat based? Well, uh, corn is very common here in the United okay. States. It's an abundance of corn. Of course, potato. And then the wheat, the European vodkas are typically your wheats and you know, other grains. But yeah, sugar cane is very few there. I mean, you can probably count on both hands, uh, how many sugar cane vodkas in the entire world. And there's none that are branding like we are. At all, and you guys, you know, you've won some awards too, as well. With uh, you know, yeah, with yeah the we have six awards, two double golds. We just won the double gold at the Proof Awards, and that is amazing because the judges of the Proof Awards are buyers for all of the major retailers in the U.S. How how important is are those awards when you know for someone who's just a a, a consumer like myself? You know how does how does Rock and Vodka Put that in front of people like me and others that are, you know, have had the different options. Right. So we obviously we advertise our medals on the necker. So we put a necker over the bottle. Um, so every time we get a new award, we update our neckers. But it's very important because when you win these awards, you get national exposure. Right. And um, these are blind taste tests from some prestigious people and prestigious judges. And to be able to win a blind taste, they don't know Rick's involved. They have no idea the name is Rockin' Vodka. They have no idea that it's sugarcane. It just wins the, the these awards because it, it's defeating all of these other brands. And then, then when you add the rig, you add the, the the story behind it with uh, with Andy and what's in it. Those awards really kind of uh, Rick Nielsen. Oh, he's in the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, you know, otherwise I'm just Rick, this guitar player that plays on a band. You know, it's like you know, like if I go to a grocery store. Until I was in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, oh, there's Rick again. And then now I had one of the people, oh, I heard you, you know, they don't buy the record. Most of them don't buy the records or, or whatever. But they, they, it just put two and you add the two things together, it really, really builds it up. Yeah. And then you had Shannon McDonald. She she builds the the largest handmade guitar ever in the world. And she invites Rick to go light it up. It's at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Museum in Illinois in Joliet. And she paints it. Because she's the world's greatest Beatles artist, she has the ability to to create her own paints with the ingredients, and so she uses PPG, which is the world's largest paint company, and she comes up with a paint called Rock and Vodka Red. So the guitar that Rick lit the switch on at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Museum is painted with Rock and Vodka Red. So I mean, cool shit like that is happening all the time with our brand. From the launch to now. How have you guys game plan in terms of the marketing strategy, in terms of getting this product out to people? Well, unfortunately, we launched a, a two months before the pandemic. But then I said, you know what? We got to turn the negative into a positive. So the silver lining for us was Rick's career got put on hold. So I had unlimited time with Rick and my restaurants all got shut down. So we had nothing but time. I was uh, I started raising chickens and spending time with Rick. So those two things. And <laughs> yeah, so I, so Rick and I had a lot of time to strategize, uh, send bottles to his uh, network of friends. And of course, Dax does the same thing for us now. So we're always sending bottles out, um, strategizing our marketing campaigns, strategizing which uh, states we want to open up first and next. Um, Sammy Hagar helped us open up uh, California. Sammy Hagar helped us open up 
uh, Florida with our national distributor. So we're getting friends from uh, Rachel Ray featured Rock and Vodka twice, most re- most recently on the greatest of all time episode. So because of Rick and Dax and Miles and and Karen and and now Michael Pollitz and Shannon, we're getting so much national uh, exposure. And uh, yeah, our plan right now we're in uh, twelve states and two countries, so we're just growing exponentially. And what were some of the things because of the pandemic? that you guys were able to strategize and have a greater impact for your product in terms of marketing, in terms of outreach to consumers? Well, keep in mind, Rick did, Rick and I didn't really know each other, right? So we got to get to know each other. And I knew his style, and now he's learning my style, and we travel all the time together. But we were uh, strategizing on um, marketing uh, content. Developing content takes a lot of time. So, you know, getting used to how Rick – because I, I didn't know Rick wasn't scripted. Right. So I used to prepare all these scripts and I bring all these papers and he would look at them and laugh and just throw them away. So so now I know that you can't script Rick. You got to give him a ballpark of what he needs to do. And then he gets in front of the camera and he's a natural, even though he says he's not a natural. He is a natural. And so developing content was a lot. And then he, he helped us build our social medias. So when Rick posts from one of his verified socials, it helps grow Rockin's page on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever. So. Just developing a lot of content and and uh, introducing me to his network of uh, people from all over the world. That's great. That's great. And, and Rick, you know, Andy mentioned the impact on on you know the local economy with jobs and obviously you know being a part of the Hard Rock Casino. For you, you know, what were some of the other things that attracted you to this and, and developing this vodka? Well, I I didn't need another job, so that was one thing. Uh, so it wasn't like but getting having jobs for other people is like important, and uh, and and like with the hard rock, it's like I had a guitar in like virtually every other hard rock around the world. I had nothing here in Rockford, so it's like uh, it's kind of interesting. That <laughs> finally, was something that you'd thought about for a long time, you know, incorporated into it. And the same thing with uh, show them that picture. Yeah, that's actually Rick's guitar being erected in front of the hard rock. Uh, oh. Yeah, instead of the the Les Paul that doesn't look like a Les Paul at all these places, uh, I, I, be, I, I don't know if I begged them, but they, you know, to have a, a checkerboard explorer out front as opposed to, uh, you know, the, the thing, you know, because it, it was, I think they said it was the first artist based hard rock, you know, and instead of instead of just a hard rock with all kinds of people, this is kind of based upon part of me and. uh like, you know, I've had the, the five neck guitars. They're, they're making some lamps on a five neck guitar, and, you know, like in the, the, the carpeting, you know, I mean, I'm big on picks. And so it's like it's all kinds of the tchotchkes, the, the little junk that goes along with the thing, which is kind of what I am. I mean, I wasn't trying to, you know, I'm not trying to be a handsome, cool Brad Delp or Brad, uh, whatever his name is. But, uh, you know, I'm going to be like you. I, I've had bad vodka once. Right. <laughs> I remember that one time. That. I hope you keep that laughter in there with me. I will keep I'm that laughing in. at you. I will. I, I, I need one of those uh, those uh, guitar lamps, though. When when those are when those are out on the market, I gotta I gotta get one of those. Stick around. When you when you think of what you're doing and and how this impacts. You know, is the distillery is in what, Belvedere? Uh, no, we're in Harvard, Illinois. Harvard, um, Illinois. Okay. Street Distilling. They just added 12,000 square feet. Amazing group of guys. They have an amazing portfolio of brands of their own. Uh, they're just a, uh, an amazing family. It's a family-owned business. And uh, because of them, and, and of course, you know, they've been a critical part of our growth. And, uh, you know, Rick forgot to mention, you know, just yesterday, you know, he doesn't like to brag, but we get on a Zoom call with the owners and CEOs and CFOs of these national companies, right? Yesterday was Rock and Brews, and they basically love Rick, and they're gonna they're gonna activate Rock and Vodka on a permanent basis in all of the Rock and Brews, which you know the uh, Gene Simmons is, in, is involved with those restaurants, and 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 so this is what Rick brings to the table. You know, we're on Zoom calls all the time with these national chains. If it's Hard Rocks around the nation, if it's flying to Texas next week uh, at Specs, the it's the world's largest liquor retailer. They're the they're ginormous and they they want to fly us in there and we're going to meet with them and we're there, we have to tell them exactly why rock and vodka needs to be in 220 stores. Uh, so that's what Rick brings to the table. Uh, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, he's very modest. 
you, you mentioned a lot of like connection with local businesses, you know, family owned businesses, you know, with this, with this company that you have, is it important to surround yourself with those types of businesses that, you know, have that direct impact on local economies and families and, and whatnot? Absolutely. So we spread the wealth. Um, you know, if it's not hiring somebody locally, we, I mean, we've already added like nine jobs in the last three years. Um, it, it's, it's spending money with the guy that does the shirts, local company. It's the, it's the printing of uh, sales sheets or the pitch decks, local company. Now, do we order stuff uh, from large companies? Absolutely. You know, we, sometimes we have to get the cost down or we need the product quickly, but for the most part, it's, it's spending money locally. And we just went public uh, with a mini IPO. Uh, last May and we raised 1.07 million and the majority of that money has already impacted our local economy because we're just spending money on packaging comes locally, the bottling, the distillery. Uh, so indirectly and directly creating so many jobs. Uh, and, and that's why we're able to grow the brand because we're, 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 we're creating a bunch of walking billboards that are just bragging about the brand because there's so many people partaking in the growth of it. Plus you got a killer logo too. <laughs> I love it. And, and, and Rick had nothing to do with the logo. I, I had, I, it got lucky how we came wait, up. Wait, wait, wait. I thought that, isn't it Rick and Vodka? Oh no, it's Rock and Vodka. <laughs> we actually didn't even know what the name was going to be before we, we chose the bottle. We had the ingredients. We knew it was going to be sugarcane. Um, and, uh, we, we had no idea. So, you know, Rockford, Illinois, Hard Rock Casino. We owned a restaurant called Stockyard Rock Burger Bar. Uh, and, and I was driving down the 251 and there's Rock River. And then I call my partner after I hear the Michael Jackson song, I want to rock with you. And I'm like, we got it. It's got to be rock, rock vodka, rock vodka. I go to call my lawyer to trademark it. My lawyer's name is Jason Rock, right? So at that point in time, I knew it had to be rock. Uh, we found out very quickly that trademarking was going to be next to impossible for rock. So that's when we added the apostrophe N. And of course, I gave my graphic designer freedom of creativity, not knowing that he had already worked with the Nielsen family. So indirectly and unbeknownst to me, I didn't know that he was doing this because of his ties to, to, to Rick Nielsen and Cheap Trick and all that stuff. So, yeah, that's uh, Rick loves skulls and Karen loves skulls. And that's how we came up with the design and the name. And for people who want to find out where they can get it locally um, where can they find, you know, the, the website and, and how can they, you know, the, do they have like one of those zip code searches where you can find the local store that sells their local restaurant that has it? Sure. So we, we, we love technology. So, uh, QR codes, websites, link tree, uh, rockinvodkas.com. That's plural with an S rockinvodkas.com. And you can find, uh, on our interactive map, every location in Illinois, uh, every location locally, every location in the United States. And you can actually order Rock and Vodka and deliver it right to your doorstep from our website. And it should get there within uh, three to five days. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's, that's what I want. I want to, you know, come right to my door with the shot glass in hand. That's, uh, that's, um, that's do it, Andy. Do it, Andy. <laughs> well, hey, you know, it's been a, a, a great conversation talking about Rock and Vodka. Uh, like I said, you know, it's sugarcane vodka. It's you can find it where Andy, where Andy, uh, mentioned on the website, rockinvacas.com. And you can look up locally where you can find it. You can order it right to your house and you got a lot of products coming out too, a lot of marketing products. So man, it's exciting for, for this. So congrats to you guys on that and congrats to the awards and, and the, and the reception that it's, that it's gained so far. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I had vodka once. <laughs> well. Everyone, the laugh is coming from Mr. Rick Nielsen. I'd like to thank him and Dax Nielsen and Andy Rio from Rock and Vodka for talking about Cheap Trick, for talking about the vodka, for being on the Hook Rocks. So thank you to them. Once again, I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. Stay safe, take care of each other, and we will talk soon. Thanks. Thanks.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.